Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Father, thank you for this time together that we can gather with others, uh, our brothers and sisters, and we can, uh, we can just rejoice in, uh, in, in the Christmas story, what it means to us. And just pray for those who, who can't be with us. I pray for Jay, and um, just pray that you'll touch his body, bring health to him again, and that he can be with us, be with his family during Christmas, and be with us again as quickly as possible. And Father, thank you for the family members that have come far to be with us this, this Christmas season. We, we look forward to enjoying and celebrating with them as well as with their family who are near. We thank you in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Ah, Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Um, or at least that's what the song says. The, song, the singer sings about good cheer, holiday greetings, happy meetings, parties, marshmallows roasting, caroling in the snow, hearts will be glowing. In the song it says it's the hap- happiest season of all. Isn't that true for all of us? Pastor Jay, as I was preparing, he sent me his notes to help me prepare, but he sent me the following article he found in a news source called Charisma News, and it says, we are told that Christmas, especially for Christians, should be the happiest time of the year, an opportunity to be joyful and grateful with family, friends, and colleagues. Yet, according to the National Institute of Health, Christmas is the time of year that people experience the highest instances of depression. Hospitals and police forces report the highest instances of suicide or attempted suicide during Christmas. Psychiatrists, psychologists, and other mental health professionals report a significant increase in in patients complaining about depression. One North American survey reported that 45% of respondents dreaded the festive season. What happened to the most wonderful time of the year? I know there are many things that bring different emotions to people during Christmas. Uh, Last week I shared uh, those who were here for prayer for my friend whose father was quite ill. Well, he passed away last uh, Monday morning early. So as they prepare for Christmas, that's heavy on their hearts. There's many things on our hearts. What is it that is, is, is Christmas a time of celebration or not? There seems to be a disconnect sometimes. Love, joy, peace, and hope, that's the Christmas themes that uh, we've chosen to explore this year, but sometimes that seems so far away from our experiences that we experience every day. I ask myself, are these themes true of Christmas or are they just our wishes, some kind of pipe dreams? Well, there are definitely biblical themes surrounding the birth of Christ. They're all through the, the Christmas story in the Bible. Why then are we not experiencing them in our celebrations? Why do we feel this depressive spirit sometimes on us during Christmas? I ask myself, is it because we're trying to find love, joy, peace, and hope apart from Christ? Do we believe that we possess within ourselves the ability to love, experience joy, make peace, and secure hope on our own? While we recognize the birth of Christ, have we made the celebrations more about us and our goodness 
than about his coming to give us life. Do we really believe that there is life apart from a relationship with Jesus? The Bible tells us we love because he first loved us. It also says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The Apostle Paul prayed for the Corinthians church, and he said, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And Jesus himself said, I have come that you might have life. Do we believe this? Or do we believe we can find love, joy, peace, and hope on our own, apart from Christ? Is that the reason we struggle and have these issues during Christmas? We're seeking for them apart from Christ. The first week in our, our study, our, our Christmas time, we, we looked at God's love for us. Rodney led us through that. Last week, we looked at the joy we experienced knowing that all we long for is found in Jesus. And today I want to look at peace. And what does it look like to have peace with God? And to do that, um, I want us to look at a short video clip of what does peace look like from a biblical perspective? Is it different than what we see in the world? So Jonathan, you can play that clip for us. So that gives us God's view of peace. And it's interesting in that, you know, I, my, Connie and I, we lived uh, many years in uh, Africa, different countries. We saw many conflicts, and usually before a conflict was resolved, they would call for peace talks, and they would come together and they'd talk about it and trying to work out an agreement that both sides could agree on to negotiate peace. And uh, but usually that was just something they did until one force overtook the other. I don't remember ever those peace got, peace being re reality and lasting for years. It was just a matter of time. It seemed to give one force enough time to recuperate or re regroup, and then they'd get strong enough to go and then attack the other, and, and then they didn't need peace then because one, one was over the other. So peace rarely lasted in those situations. Even in our world today, we talk about peace talks. Do those peace talks ever accomplish much? They last. But what does it mean to have peace with God? And I thought it was interesting in the video. It says it's more than just absence of conflict. It's to seek completeness and wholeness for others, not just ourselves. And many times these peace talks would be, what can I get out of it? What's in it for me? Whereas in God's word, his eyes is like, what is in it for all of us? How will it make it better for all of us? So what does it mean to have peace with God? You know, and um, when, you, when they talk about these peace talks, it was always, there was a battle. And they, were, they were deciding, do I have enough strength to overcome this guy or do I need to have peace talks? Well, in Luke chapter 14, verses 31 to 33, Jesus uh, talks about it this way. He says, that what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down and first deliberate, deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, there, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is talking about this in terms of what does it mean to be his disciple? So he's, he, 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 he thinks of it as like a wartime. You're looking at this great army, and I've got my army. Do I have enough to, to take on this army, or will I need to seek terms of peace? 
But I look at this and I think God looked at us. We were at war with God. Our sin and our life, the way we live, was we were enemies of God. The Bible even says we're enemies of God. We were fighting against God. And God looked at us, and, and he didn't wait for us to seek terms of peace. He kind of flipped the script. He was the one that made the determination. He was the stronger force or army, and he flipped the script. He sought peace. He initiated peace for us. We did, I don't know if we realized we needed peace. We, we, we thought we could make it. We thought we could handle this. And he said, no, you can't. So he initiated and sent Jesus as the prince of peace. He said, you cannot, you need peace with me to have life in this world. And so I'm going to initiate. So our main struggle was with our sinfulness, beginning with Adam and continuing. So to be at peace with God meant we need to deal with our sins. It had to be dealt with. We will not have peace with God without that. And this requires, throughout the Bible, it required a sacrifice. A sacrifice of death had to be paid to deal with the sins. And since we were unable to do that, to meet those terms of peace, God sent Jesus to be our sacrifice and to give his life for us. In Romans 5, 8, we, we know the Bible says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, or still sinners, Christ died for us. We, we weren't even seeking God. We were like, we're still making it our own way. We're still we, enemies of God. He said, you need peace, and I'm going to set it up so you can have peace. God's terms of peace stem from his love from us, for us. You know, I, I think about those peace talks I watched in, in Africa. I didn't see much love for the other party. It was mostly for me. What can I, I need something, so you got to give me this. But God says, I need for you to have peace. I love you, and I want you to have peace. So the question we have to answer, ask ourselves is, we will, will we accept his terms and experience peace with him? Will we accept his terms? And in the shalom of the Bible, Hebrews 10, 14 says, for by, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We needed to be perfect to be accepted to God. And God said, I'll take care of that. I'll send Jesus, who will die for you, and then you will have his life. You will be perfect. He has perfected us. We don't have to be perfect or make ourselves perfect. He's done that. I'll make you perfect through Jesus. So if we accept his terms for peace, he will make us perfect or complete. He will make that. He will make us that way. But, you know, we have to respond to that. And we will all respond to God in one of three ways. We all. And that I see very clearly in the biblical, passage, biblical story of Christmas in Matthew. Uh, I'd like to read that for us. So we can see these different responses before us. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod heard the, the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For it is written by the prophets, You, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who, shall shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly 
and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it arose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. There are three responses to Christ in this passage. The first, as I look at it, are the chief priests and scribes. Look what happened. They, they knew. They knew all the scriptures. They knew when the Messiah was coming. They were waiting for him. They knew. So when, they were, they, when these wise men came into town and they were called by, by, by Herod to say, tell me what you know about the Christ child or about this new king. And they'll say, yeah, he, he, will, he will be born in Bethlehem in Judea. Now, Bethlehem is only a few miles from Jerusalem. I think maybe three, four miles. It's very close to Jerusalem. So it was right there, right, right at their feet. But I think about this. As the wise men then met with Herod and went on their way, we don't read anywhere where anybody from the scribes and the Pharisees went with them. They didn't go. Why didn't they go? I mean, maybe they said, well, I've got more important things to do. I don't know if this is true. I, you know, I don't know if I can believe these guys. Could they not have sent a, an underling, someone, just to go see? Go see what these people are finding. Go see what they found. You know, and, and you can verify it or not. They didn't. They ignored it completely. It meant nothing to them. Uh, it's just amazing. They had all the knowledge, but they ignored the birth of Christ. They were waiting for the Messiah, but they ignored it. Maybe they thought, if God is going to come, he's going to speak. He's going to speak through us. If he doesn't do it through us, it doesn't mean anything to us. So they, they, that was the first response. They ignored it. And we know in our lives, there are, maybe we and others struggle with, we ignore. We, we can ignore the message of Christ in our life. The birth of Christ, we can ignore it. He's come to be our king, but we can ignore that and say, no, I'm going to live my life how I want. It may be true, it may not, I don't care, it doesn't matter anything to me. I'm going to live my life the way I want. So the first response is to ignore it. it just ignore it completely. It, does, it doesn't matter. The second response, Herod, the king at the time. You know, he, he, he was, it says, um, when they heard about the, 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 the uh, wise men coming and saying, we have, we've seen his star and we've come to worship him, it says, when he heard this, he was troubled. It didn't say he was excited or he was, and, and, and he wanted to know more or curious. He was troubled. What would trouble Herod? Well, if you know any history about Herod, he was a very ruthless leader. He got rid of anybody that posed any challenge to him. Even his family, I think even I heard he in prison, maybe killed his mother, his wife, anybody. He didn't care. If you, if you challenged him, he was going to get rid of you. So he, it troubled him. <clears throat> but he put on a good face, and he heard it's going to be in Bethlehem, and he called these wise men, and he said, okay, when you go and find this child, come back and so I can go and worship him. We know that that wasn't his intention at all. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, as the story goes on, the, uh, the angel appeared to the wise men again after they'd seen the Christ and worshipped and said, don't go back to Herod, go another way. When he found out that they had tricked him, of course, he sent his soldiers then and killed all the boys in Bethlehem under three years of age, three and under. He killed them all. 
He didn't take any chances because he ascertained, it said, when the star appeared. So he figured, okay, that means this child you're looking for is between birth and three. So he killed them all. So Herod, his response to Christ as king in his life was, I'm going to oppose him. I'm the only king in my life. I'm the only one that's going to determine what I do in my life. So he opposed him violently, violently. And we can do that in our own lives. We can oppose what God, God, accepting God, Christ as king in our lives. We can oppose him as well. We know people around us that oppose him to say, no, we want nothing to do with this king of yours. We don't want nothing to do with Christ. We're going to oppose him violently. So we can ignore him. We can oppose him. Or as the wise men, as it says here, the third response, it says, when they, when they, when they left the king and went on their way and they saw the star again, it says, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. They welcomed him. They said, you are the king, and we will worship you. And they, as it says, they gave him gifts. They, they honored him as the king. We also are invited to worship Christ, and we worship him in the area of peace by accepting his terms of peace. We, we say, yes, you have provided a way for us. You have sent Christ to die for us and to be our king, and we worship you. That's one, one way we can worship him is by accepting what he's provided for us. We can worship him by accepting his terms of peace and be at peace with him. The question is for all of us is how are we responding to Christ in our lives? Are we responding like the the scribes and the Pharisees, we're ignoring him. Are we responding like Herod where we oppose him? Or are we responding like the wise men and worshiping him and accepting what he has provided for us? We can only have peace with God by accepting his terms for peace and worshiping him. There's no other way. There's no negotiating. He has said, these are the terms of peace. Do you want peace with me? And I think about it, some of our struggles in having peace with others comes from, from, from the fact that we have, don't really have peace with God in our lives. As I said, I saw many peace talks in Africa and many things broke down and broke apart because I find in my own life, if I'm struggling to have peace with God, then my efforts with peace with others revolve around me. I'm the one that's important here. You know, in the, in, the, in, the, in the time of Shalom, it's a matter of restoring and bringing wholeness and completeness. But, you know, I, I find myself, if, I, if I'm struggling with peace with God, that I, I don't have concern for others. I'm not really concerned for the well-being of others, really. I mean, uh, my concern is for me and how to achieve my own well-being, you know. And we see it all around us when we do these, these peace talks. It's like one nation will say, if I get what I want... Uh, I don't care about you, you know, you can have it. Or We see it all around us, and, and, and we talk about peace in our, in our land. Sometimes there's people can live at peace in one area and, and have conflict in another because they'll be really concerned that everybody's wholeness and completeness is looked at. But when we make peace with God, we accept his terms for peace, then our shift focuses from ourselves to God and others. We want what God wants. We want you to be whole and complete, as well as myself. I've, I've been made whole and complete, as we read before. I've been made perfect in Christ, and I want that for you. I want you to experience that as well. And so 
my conflict with you, I don't want just what I want out of it. I want both of us to be whole and complete through this. I want peace that not only impacts me, but impacts you as well. And we can all say we're at peace. In Matthew 27, 37 to 39, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When we have peace with God, we are empowered by His Spirit and motivated by His love to love God and love others. If I have peace with God, if I've experienced His perfecting in my life, I can experience, I can express that to others. And then, since I have experienced His shalom in my life, I can be, I'm empowered to work for shalom for all. Not just for me, but for all. So I think this Christmas season, as we think of our own lives, can you say, yes, I have peace with God. I have accepted his terms of peace, and I worship him as my king. And if you can say that, are you, and am I, are we making peace with others? Are we following him as our king when he instructs us to go and reconcile? Are we doing that, or are we resisting that? Are we willing to say, yes, you're my king, I worship you, and I need to reconcile with this person or that person and bring peace to this situation? As I prepared for this, I, you know, uh, it, was, it was convicting for me as he brought uh, to my mind, uh, there are, you, you need to go and make peace. You need to go and seek reconciliation. And I, and I know that's true. Uh, my question is, am I, will I worship him and follow him? In that, will I say, yes, I want to go. I want them to experience the completeness that I experience in you, Christ, and, and I want them to have peace as, as you have given me peace. People have told me that my messages are shorter than Jay's and Rodney's, and I may have set a record today. <laughs> but that's my message today for us is do we know God's peace? in our lives, and are we express, are we making peace with others? Let me pray for us. Uh, I, yeah, I, and I'll ask Kevin and the, the, the worship team to come, and there'll be uh, those on the side to pray with you if you want prayer uh, for, if you're, if, you're, if you're dealing with this whole area of peace and want to experience that in your life, we're here for you. Uh, I'll be available. Um, but this Christmas season, are we experiencing God's peace? Do we know God's peace on his terms as he's made available for us? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gathering here today. Thank you for um, everyone that's here. I pray for each of us that we will uh, know that we have made peace with you. We have accepted your terms of peace through Christ our Lord. We are perfected in you. Nothing we could do. And this peace will not end. It will not, it's not a peace agreement that will end after a while. It is going on for all of eternity. So thank you. And then, Father, make us your agents of peace in the world around us so that we can really say Christmas is a season that we rejoice in because, because of our faith in you, our life in you, we have love, joy, peace, and hope that extends far beyond the life we live. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm.